This podcast is sponsored by Shadow Lake Music, found at shadowlakemusic.com. Jay Bocook, Kevin Ford, David Starnes. Those names of our guests on this podcast alone are reason enough to listen. And then there's the vital topic of the importance of concert band. Concert band is the band. I mean, it's amazing we're even having this conversation. That's what band is. Everything else we do is an offshoot of that. The marching band, the football band, they're offshoots of the concert band. It is the fundamental base where we grow. We learn music fundamentals. We experience the wealth of music over the course of the full year of all the, you know, the brilliant composers that have written for this medium. And it's where we actually create the music education. The programs that we look at in the United States as kind of the, the shining light programs, uh, the, the total program, it starts with a concert band. What plan do you have in place to develop them as individual musicians? Because the more they develop as individual musicians, the more literature you're going to be able to play and the more excited they're going to be about playing music. So I think right from the beginning, be a conceptual teacher. With new performance opportunities being announced for wind players in the winter and spring, Directors need to make smart decisions about how to use their time and resources. That's a big concern of mine because where there are funds that are shrinking and budgets that are shrinking around the country, that we're going to be doing this and putting funds towards another activity um, that costs money above and beyond the day, the, the school day curriculum, where most school day curriculums are paid for within the school budget to create and flourish concert bands like we're, we're talking about. There's so much already performance pressure on school bands. They come in the first day, they go to band camp to get ready for the first game, the first competition. You know, where's the time where we really have time to mature and learn if we're just continually being prepared for the next performance, the next parade, the next performance, then this, then that. And then in the winter, if that becomes another every week to week to week, we're just preparing for another performance. When is there time to mature and learn at any level, whether it's on, with your individual players, whether it's chamber groups or with your top ensembles. These outstanding educators share a lot of great advice that you need to hear. And the hour you spend listening to this conversation could revolutionize your own concepts about your program. The importance of concert band on the Marching Roundtable. This podcast is sponsored by Shadow Lake Music, found at shadowlakemusic.com. Shadow Lake Music is the music of Andrew and Wayne Markworth, specializing in original marching band and indoor drumline shows, plus concert band and jazz band materials. Find out more by visiting shadowlakemusic.com. Hey everyone, welcome to the Marching Roundtable. This is Tim Hinton. I'm very excited about the crowd we have here tonight to talk with us. First on the line, Jay Bocook. How are you, Jay? I'm great, Tim. How are you? I'm great. Thanks so much for being here. Also on the line tonight, Kevin Ford. How are you, Kevin? Uh, very good. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks so much for being here. And David Starnes, how are you, David? I'm doing great. Thanks, Tim. Well, I want you guys to know we're talking about the importance of concert band tonight. And when Joe Allison and I sat down and said, okay, we want to do this podcast. We think this is really important. Let's decide who are the three people that we would most like to have. <laughs> and honestly, it's the three that are here. And so it's amazing that our dream of who we'd like to have actually works out. Sometimes there's a lot of schedule issues or um, whatever. But thank you guys so much for being here. Um, Jay, I think everybody knows who you are. You're a director of athletic bands at Furman University. Been there a very long time. Have over 600 compositions and arrangements published by Hal Leonard. A lot of people have played your music. And, of course, you're the music arranger for the cadets. So did I get all that information right? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. <laughs> Anything else you want to say in a two-second bio? Yeah, it made me sound really old. Oh. <laughs> okay, I should have rephrased that then. That's okay. Well, I, maybe you just write really fast. <laughs> yeah, that's it. <laughs> and if anybody wants to hear Jay, he's also been a guest on Podcast 226 and 227, which were wonderful. So, Jay, thank you for being back. 
You bet. I'm doing doing like a little bit bio here, guys. I hope you'll bear with me on that. Kevin Ford, thank you so much for being here. You're the eight. Is it right? It's the 18th year that you're at Tarpon Springs. It's actually my 20th. 20th. Okay, you need to update your website. Yes, <laughs> because that's amazing. 20 years, and of course, the growth of the program has just been amazing to watch. And and you're a show designer, of course, of great renown. And we have to say congratulations because. Your winter guard just won the Scholastic World Class Championship at WGI, so congratulations. Thank you so much. We appreciate that. I, I loved the show about the farmer. Just thought it was fantastic. Um, how was your weekend? Uh, it, it was a terrific weekend. The, the, the students were terrific all weekend, and even the process going into it. So it was one of those magical years uh, where you had a, had a program that we all felt really passionate about, and the uh, students really were incredible. Uh, throughout the entire process of the of the year, so we were just, you know, really fortunate that we were able to have a nice run there at finals. Yeah, well, it was it was a fantastic performance, and I saw the show live in Florida a couple times, and I, I remember the first time I saw it, I just thought that is one of the most smartly and beautifully constructed programs I've ever seen. I mean, it just had everything I wanted, and it was paced perfectly. So anyway, I don't need to go on and on, but congratulations. I really loved it. Thank you very much. Yeah, a lot of work, I know, so it was great. And David Starnes, you were our guest way back on podcast episode three, and it's been all this time since you're back with us, so thanks for coming back again. Absolutely. I'm honored to be here. Yeah, so you taught for 11 years at Kennesaw Mountain High School, is that right? Ten years. Ten yeah. years. Okay. And now you're director of athletic bands at Western Carolina. How long have you been there now? Uh, I just finished my third year. Oh, great. How are you liking things in, in Western Carolina? I'm having a great time. Great students and great staff and having a good time. Yeah, wonderful. And I think people may not know that you and I taught together way back at the beginning of your career. You have a great way of making people feel old, Tim. I've <laughs> <laughs> it again. That's, that's twice. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. And, and, and just to reiterate, this are probably two of the most memorable years of, of teaching just to, to have the opportunity to work with somebody like you. You're brilliant. And, uh, I, oh uh, thank you for everything that I learned from you. Well, thank you. I mean, I, I, that was, that's one of the things I most hold most fondly in my heart is that I was a small little part of the beginning of your career and loved teaching with you. And it's been so exciting to watch everything that you've accomplished um, since then. So thanks for being here. Thank you. Okay, so I probably didn't even need to do that because you guys are so well-known. Everybody knows who you are, and everybody that we've mentioned the podcast to that we're recording has been very excited that you're here. So here's the setup. There are there are new opportunities for wind players now during the winter and spring, and I always feel like um, concert band is so important to every music program, but also to marching bands. In fact, I have this thing where I say, if somebody ever asks me, what's the best thing I can do to make my marching band better? My answer is, number one, improve your concert band. So that's sort of the premise where I wanted to set this up. It seems sort of obvious to talk about the importance of concert band, even for marching band. But I thought we would let people hear what you guys had to say, because you've all had such great success in with concert groups and marching groups. So would anybody like to start and address this issue? Who wants to jump in? I, I, don't, I don't mind jumping in, Tim. Um, I, 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 I think... You know, a couple of things, um, just a unique perspective that I've got with, with starting Kennesaw Mountain from nothing. Um, when, when we first opened it in 2000, um, we had a choice at that point to decide whether it was going to be, uh, driven by the marching band or the concert band. And I knew exactly what it needed to be, you know, with the concert band, but the, the age of it and the numbers of it were pretty, um, specific in terms of what we could and couldn't do and the size of the ensemble that we could have as far as concert band goes. But um, I, I, I agree 100 percent with with what you're saying in terms of of how the concert band grows uh, the entire program. I'm in a lot of band rooms, um, as I'm sure Jay and Kevin are also. And one of the first things that I realized that um, a, a program that might have a really illustrious marching band program in the fall, you expect to walk in and hear that. In a concert band setting or the jazz setting or even a chamber music setting and you'll walk in second semester and be shocked, uh, about the lack of uh, attention to musical detail. And I'm just one of those guys that thinks that marching band is, it's very muscle memory driven. I think once a kid has it, uh, the, the, the kid has it. And I think with, with concert band, there's so many decisions to be made musically, um, that, that, the kid decides how they're going to learn 
music and what style learner they are um, in the concert band setting. And they're making musical choices all the time. And it's one of those things that we have sequential learning based uh, teaching. And it's constantly being one of those things that the kids are having to um, learn day by day what it is that they, they are they are improving on. Uh, I don't feel that way with marching band as much. It's more of a, a social slash team aspect. But if your concert band can't play, I have not met a marching band that can play at the level that I feel like they, they probably could. Um, and, and I think this WGI thing, um, I'm really concerned about it. And I, and I had a, a conversation with some colleagues of mine uh, not too long ago uh, while judging uh, a winter percussion event. And um, I think collectively, um, I hear a lot of people really concerned about this. When I look at the QCCs, and I look at the national standards, and I think about what this might be doing to a child to have him make a decision based on um, their learning style, which may be more muscle memory. And I hear band directors saying that this is the, the avenue they want to go as far as doing a win-or-win section uh, with the WGI activity because they're not successful with concert band. And I heard that out of a band director's mouth. Uh, and that's really disheartening because it's almost like they've thrown in the towel and even heard that their kids aren't excited about concert band and um boy it's just it's it's a scary time for us because we're we're trying to hang on to our programs curricular uh based but we're shooting ourselves in the foot if we go this route and i um i've even made the comment that i will not support um as a judge for wgi i cannot support this and and will not support it and i hear a lot of my colleagues saying the same thing Okay, Jay or Kevin, either one of you want to weigh in on why you feel like your concert band program is important to the program in general or marching band specifically? Well, I'll I'll step in. Okay, I, Jay, thanks. Concert band is the band. I mean, it's amazing we're even having this conversation. That's what band is. Everything else we do is an offshoot of that. The marching band, the football band, they're offshoots of the band of the concert band. It is the fundamental base where we grow, we learn music fundamentals, we experience the wealth of music over the course of the full year of all the, you know, the brilliant composers that have written for this medium. And it's where we actually create the music education. I, I agree with David. You know, the football thing is great and the and, and the, the marching band, the competitive marching band is great because it it it, it there's an awareness factor there to the community, into the school, into the kids. That maybe we can be recognized and be seems like what we're doing is important, somewhat important. But really, you cannot possibly grow the program without the growth of the musicians. And the way, the way that happens is when they sit down and learn to play. And I don't think anybody will really disagree with that. It just becomes now with this other stuff added in the winter, it's when are we going to really get better on the instruments? Where is the music education going to happen if it doesn't happen here? Uh, and that's my big concern. I, I mean, it, to me, like I said before, the the band is the concert band, and that's kind of where I am on this whole thing. I think that um, as as educators going into your program, you you have to have a pretty clear vision of, of what you want from your individual musicians. For us, I feel like uh, maybe a little bit different perspective, but. Our soul and ensemble is where we build our musicianship and where we build our bands. Um, we, we require everyone to participate in soul and ensemble festival. Um, but we also have several recitals that we, um, host throughout the year that allows our chamber, uh, ensembles and allow our soloists and our small ensembles, uh, to participate in performance. So they have. Uh, maybe five or six opportunities within, with just within the structured curriculum to perform, uh, let alone the outside of that. But, you know, to, having your band uh, participate and your students participate in solo ensemble, there's so many individual responsibilities that they get that allows them to develop uh, individually. Um, because I think in ensemble settings, it, uh, you know, you know, sometimes those people, if, if you're if you're playing a third part and there's maybe multiple people in that part, there are there are opportunities for that person to maybe not contribute as much as they could. But if there's a quartet and they're responsible for that one single individual part, it requires that you know some accountability for them to learn that part, go through that process, and then step up and perform without relying on someone else to do that. Uh, and I believe 
taking going right from the solo ensemble into the, into our concert setting, that that has allowed our concert bands uh, to excel and okay. and to play a little bit more difficult literature, and for allow us to have maybe greater conversations. Uh, you know, that isn't just talking about vertical alignment, but we can really start talking about artistic choices, how you're going to begin a sound, how you're going to end a sound artistically, uh, just not whether it's together and whether we end. Uh, you know, together. So I, 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 I think uh, agreeing with David and Jay on the concert band being a centerpiece of our curriculum. I also think the solo ensemble helps that as well. Uh, and when you're participating in all those things, I just can't imagine, at least for our program, I certainly wouldn't tell anyone else how to run their program. But for our program, I, I couldn't see us even having the time uh, to add another thing on our wind players uh, you know, plate as far as you know, another ensemble from them to participate in. Because what we like to do is, you know, with our jazz ensemble, it's a very busy ensemble, and we break that up into combos. Um, obviously, I mentioned our, our solo ensemble stuff, our brass choirs, our woodwind choirs, and then our concert bands and all the literature that they play and the performance opportunities we provide for them. I'm just not sure, at least for our setting. Uh, that that something something that duplicates maybe our fall curriculum would be in the best interest of of our program. Tim, um, I'd like to address also, um, and, and I think this is something uh, another uh, another part of this conversation. But I, I feel like it's really important. Uh, I, I understand uh, because I've done the Winter Guard thing, and I think the Winter Guard has with WGI has a great place with with what they're doing. Um, I know how much money that cost, and it, it it kind of amazes me that you know we'll put as much money for twenty or twenty five kids into winter guard or winter percussion, and then we look at that same budget, and some directors say, "Well, I can't budget that for my concert band because it's not as competitive, or the parents don't view this as uh, an opportunity to bring home an award or whatever that might be." Um, that's a big concern of mine because where there are funds that are shrinking and budgets that are shrinking around the country that we're going to be doing this and putting funds towards another activity um, that cost money above and beyond the day the, the school day curriculum where most school day curriculums are paid for within the school budget to create and flourish concert bands like we're, we're talking about and, and that's a real concern uh, the other thing uh, that, that I'd like to bring up uh, just as far as as the, uh, the the detail of what kids are quote unquote into, um, I think if we're selling a kid that band is marching band twelve months out of the year, um, that we're we we as music educators are saying this is what we do, um, and then we look back at our college training and and what we were taught pedagogically through our college training. And we get to a point to look back and say we're using a fourth of that um, in doing what we're doing, teaching our kids on a day-to-day -day basis. Um, so I, I'm very concerned about, I guess, philosophically, uh, financially, um, big. And I'm, I'm with Kevin. I would never tell anybody how to run their program. Um, but I, I think it's going to be a hard sell to administration and to principals uh, for school districts uh, when they start making choices about spending additional money for extracurriculars and travel um, and everything about that. My other, my other real concern is um, when you go to a concert band festival, and all three of us judge concert band, concert band festivals, there are really, really high-level adjudicators that are either concert band conductors or great high school directors or great university directors, both active and retired, and, and my concern is who is going to evaluate it if people go that direction? Um, and what are we telling kids again that, you know, the, the, the ensemble moving and playing in a gym with marching instruments, um, poor double rig players. I mean, that's, that's a, that's a real concern, um, cause they have no outlet there. So. Yeah, I think it's really interesting, Kevin, that you mentioned the, uh, Great points there, David. Kevin, you mentioned the solo and ensemble. When we did a, we had a conversation with Scott Rush at Wando High School. He said the same thing. You know, they spend so much time in the winter doing solo and ensemble concerts and breaking the students into those small ensembles. We're just talking about music education and teaching kids music and to play their instrument, right? Correct. And 
Well, and I, I think, too, we have to be careful about the difference between an activity uh, and, and something that's artistic. And, and I, I think all of our goals as educators uh, is, is you, 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 you want to you move the, the ensemble and the students and educate them in a way uh, where you can start having artistic conversations, uh, not just the technical aspect. So the more we can develop them as individuals, uh, you know, the more opportunity we have then to really discuss, like, the architecture of a piece, uh, how that's going to go, and what kind of decisions we're going to make within a small phrase to a large phrase, how, how all of that works together. Let me just add, too, uh, talking about the solo ensemble, Kevin's right on with that. But, you know, what, we're, what I'm seeing now with some of the better programs in the country is a really cool phenomenon where – they're not just doing solo and ensemble because they know some people try to figure that that's kind of a game too to see how many ones you can get and so forth. Right. So a lot of programs like Scott Rush's program are doing their own chamber music concerts and even concerto competitions within their yeah. own groups. Yeah. Yeah. And this really sets the bar on a totally musical level. Yeah, it's competitive, but it's who's going to be who's going to improve the most, who's going to learn the most, who's going to be the greatest player, the most virtuosic player at this level. And we don't usually see that at the high school thing except maybe in some orchestras, but I think it's very, very cool. And I think one more point about this whole year-long sequence is there is so much already performance pressure on <clears throat> on school bands. They come in the first day, they go to band camp to get ready for the first game, the first competition. You know, where is the time where we really have time to mature and learn if we're just continually being prepared for the next performance, the next parade, the next performance, then this, then that. And then in the winter, if that becomes another every week to week to week, we're just preparing for another performance. When is there time to mature and learn at any level, whether it's on, it, it, with your individual players, whether it's chamber groups or with your on your top ensembles? Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, Tim, one of the things, too, and I know you've probably gotten this as a high school director, you know, back in the day. There, there I made you feel old. There you um, go. <laughs> um, I, I can remember very recently um, principals and coaches coming up to me after first semester and we started second semester, and um, they always called me coach. And it's like, well, well what, what do you do this semester, coach? And they have no idea. So they, I think there's a perception about what bands even do second semester. And I think that's an education thing where um, it's, you know, we, we always had symphonic band camps second semester. We always had uh, sectionals in the afternoon with master classes from, from clinicians all over the metro Atlanta area. Uh, we had a pre-festival concert. We had the, the final performance concert uh, at a large group performance evaluation. So there was, there was always something. In fact, I don't know how you guys felt, but I always felt more pressure second semester because there were, there was way more at stake musically, uh, with two, three, and four ensembles, uh, teaching them all how to sight read, uh, sight reading music to figure out what that perfect festival program was going to be. And then when you're done with that, you've got a spring concert staring you in the face. And at the same time, you're auditioning kids for the next fall's classes on top of designing a marching band show. So, I think there's a perception issue here about what bands are serving um, potentially, um, and you're hearing from from when Jay and I being two athletic band directors at universities, but at the same time, both of us do concert bands, and and I've got 110 kids and just a, a symphonic band of kids that just want to continue to play, and they'll tell me we never had this opportunity at our high school, nothing ever this good, and that's the second band at Western Carolina, so that's a real concern that kids don't get that until they get to college and and maybe the perception is that it's just not that important but you would be amazed at the the, the eyes that light up for the first time uh when a kid gets to play giannini for the first time or a kid gets to play a tchaikovsky transcription they, it's just it's a beautiful thing to watch and i just wish that that we could get out there into the the band programs and allow band directors to see what it would do for their kids Well, yeah, and and Kevin, you're still in the high school trenches, <laughs> shall we say? And mm -hmm. and um, you know, that was there was a the other day. It was the end of March or early April, and <clears throat> a band director friend of mine put on Facebook. Well, let's see. I have uh, you know concert festival, solo and ensemble, all state auditions. Um, you know this audition, that audition. He says, "Yep, must be April." So, so it's like you know, if you're really doing it right and you're teaching this music education and you're giving your students all these opportunities, everybody's really busy, right, Kevin? 
Uh, yes, I would agree with that. I mean, there's there's plenty for us to do. I, I think perhaps uh, we get caught sometimes in the, some some teachers get caught in in the model of prepare just preparing for a festival. So so they're they're working just the three pieces that that festival happens and then they just plan on the spring concert. And I think there's so many more opportunities uh, for our students to perform, whether that's small ensembles, chamber wins. But one of the things that we've, we've started to implement at, at TARP in the last three and four years is we have a guest artist series now where in the, in the fall, at the end of the fall of December, we bring a guest artist in uh, to, work, to work with our students. Uh, they'll do master classes, and then we'll do uh, a performance with them. And then we're doing the same, we do the same thing in the spring where we, we rent a hall, a concert hall in St. Petersburg, a nicer hall than we have at Tarpon. Uh, to perform in, and then they'll come in, work with the band for four days, and we play a completely different repertoire. Last year, we had a pianist from New York, and we did Rhapsody in Blue and several other pieces, uh, but we were able to work with them, gain perspective from them. So as, as soon as uh, our district concert festival was over with, our solo ensemble festival was over with, and our solo ensemble recitals, we went right in uh, to that particular uh, preparation for that event, which was a completely uh, different set of literature, and then we had three weeks later, we had our spring concert, and we played a completely different set of lit- literature as well uh, for that. And in, in between that, a lot of our students, is, you know, the, our seniors, they're out auditioning almost every free weekend that we have. Uh, so I think it's something that we have to take into consideration uh, for those students, because I think one of the things I think we all agree on as teachers is, is it's not just what they do uh, when we have them, but where we can help them go when they go through that door for the final time and hopefully on, and we have a responsibility to, to, to ensure that they, they have their best opportunity in those situations so they, that they can continue uh, you know, to pursue a career if they choose to do that in music. Again, we're talking about teaching students. Jay, do you feel like there are, are there band directors coming out of college that aren't, don't have a clear understanding of this part of their job. I mean, I, I know that uh, the glory and the attention sometimes goes to those marching trophies. But, no, uh, I, no, I, I think I think everybody leaving college has the right idea, and then they get there, and they see the pressures from the communities for the the chance to be in the spotlight, as WGI calls it, week in and week out, and that can somehow. And I think everybody can agree with it. That can somehow be appealing. Uh, you know, it's just boom, boom. Every week we've got this. We've got this. We're always in the newspaper. We're always on the, the news when we come home with this, you know, championship or whatever place we were. And it just seems like it's an easy way to get through the year in some cases, especially if they have a tough road ahead in terms of how much their students need to really improve to be able to play the real literature that they should for concert mm-hmm. man. I agree with Jay. I think I think some people, you know, for marching season, depending on the size band that you have, you're going to have multiple people playing those parts. And 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 when you go into your wind ensemble season, there's sometimes one, two, three on a part. Uh, So for some directors, it becomes frustrating because maybe they don't have the depth in their program that allows them to feel as successful as maybe they do in the fall, but. In my opinion, it's all all the more reason to go back and make sure that one, we're, we're driving this from a conceptual standpoint. That everything we're teaching them are concepts right from day one. That we're not teaching the marching band differently. We're teaching the wind ensemble, or at least from fundamentally how you're going to play that instrument and how you're going to approach line. That right from the beginning, we're we're doing you're doing that consistently and the same. Uh, and then and then as you get in to you know, progressively through the year that we're doing things that helps them develop as individual musicians so that, that when they do have a concert uh, piece of literature in front of them, they have the ability to, to get through that. And it isn't something that, uh, you know, multiple people are playing, but now it becomes simultaneous responsibilities. It becomes a, a lot more, um, what did I say, uh, uh, responsibility on the individual to cover that. So I think if, if we can gear our curriculums towards developing those individual musicians, I think they'll have a much uh, more successful time uh, playing the concert literature uh, that's passed out to them. Well, and and the bigger point, too, in my opinion, as a composer and arranger for both fall and concert programs is in the fall, you've had a show constructed of six to ten minutes of the same music right. specifically for your group 
for the entire semester, basically. And, and compare that to the wealth and years and, and decades and centuries, in some cases, of literature we can get for the concert band and for our solos and chamber music. It's not, it's not a question of, of, of music value at all when you think about it that way. We right. really want to do the same six to ten minutes the whole year, and that's it. That's all the exposure. That's the only composers they're going to hear. Mm. Wow. Yeah, I, and I think that's a great point, Jay, because, you know, I've, I've heard band directors say they're ready to put this marching band show up. They've been doing it for six months, and then they'll complain about their concert festival literature that they've been doing for two months. And, like, I can't I can't wait to get this stuff put up. And it's just moving on to that next thing that makes not only them feel a little bit more comfortable, but also I think probably their kids look forward to more. And I think it's all in the approach. I mean, you, you look at some of those bands in Texas – um, that are so well-rounded and you know I there's so many of them but I, I can you know I don't think you would mind me quoting the Frank Troika uh, Berkner band I mean that's just such a well-rounded program they are so deep concert band wise and you turn around and you get that many kids to contribute uh, on a marching band filled with success also it, it, that was the way in the the heyday of the Fairfax County and also in you know the Cobb County area the same way where the concert bands exist 12 months of the year in some aspect it's it's mm -hmm. it's through the school day uh in the fall and the spring but even in the summertime as kevin's already alluded to uh doing some sort of music camp or some sort of chamber ensemble um i don't think that the programs that we look at uh in the united states as kind of the the, the, the shining light programs, uh, the, the total program, it starts with a concert band. And, um, you know, I, I put this to the test in, in 2006 um, when I was at Kennesaw. We had already committed to go to Grand Nationals, and I had stupidly already submitted for the Midwest Clinic and was hoping it wasn't going to happen, but it did. And we wound up playing on the Midwest stage 37 days after Grand National Finals. And you talk about really putting your philosophy to the test. Can two be done simultaneously? The kids get equal experience out of it. And within 37 days playing on two national stages, it can be done. And I just think that a lot of directors shy away from um, the concert band challenge because it does. It takes more work on the on the director. And I think it puts, like Kevin said, more emphasis on the individual player that maybe none of us like to sit in that practice room in college and hear how we actually sound. And the kids hear that second semester more so than they do first semester. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, I, I have unfortunately, you know, had clients call me up to want me to work, you know, create a show for them with their band. And a lot of times they'll say, I want the music in February because I want to hand it out and start practicing it for next fall. And, and, and then, of course, I always have to have this long conversation with them about, you know, why they should be spending time on their concert band, blah, blah, blah. But there, there is sort of this mentality out there of a certain group that don't either they don't understand that their band is actually going to benefit or they don't want to do it or they don't like it. You know, you guys have any insight into that? Because those are the people that I'm worried about with this new situation. I think you have to have a philosophy from, from day one uh, and, and what you want to achieve over the course of an entire year. And we, we try not to look at it like marching band season, concert band season, jazz ensemble season, winter guard season. We just try to look at it as a, as a whole year. And, and a lot of, a, you know, a lot of it comes back down to, to conceptual teaching right from day one and how we want to develop them as individual musicians and then making sure that we're providing them, uh, the right tools that will allow them to become, uh, better every single day they come into the classroom. Uh, you know, a lot of that is scale work. A lot of people don't don't want to work on scales, you know, or more than three or four scales. Uh, that's what we, you know, we have to be careful of that. A lot of times in the fall, uh, not every band, but you know, a, a lot of band programs that they play in 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 key friendly, uh, you know, key signatures that that are that are pretty familiar uh, for the students uh, that they're very comfortable in, and they don't expose them uh, to some other key signatures that we might find some other literature in that uh, we may want to play in, in the in this in this end of the fall or spring with our concert bands but i think it just goes back to having having a year-long curriculum and how you want to, to develop and what skills sets do you want to have them have them have at what times 
you know, that certainly is developing their individual musicianship, uh, developing their musical and artistic choices uh, within their phrase, how they understand note groupings, how they understand phrasing, uh, how to become a better reader and spending a lot of time on sight reading and rhythm rhythms so that they can understand that. Uh, and they become, you know, ultimately what we try and do is, is have our musicians become independent. Uh, you know, I, I always tell them all the time that the day you don't need me is a very happy day for me. You know, that you're going to, that you're going to go out there and you're going to be able to play anything that's, that's given to you and you're going to make good choices with it. One, you're going to understand, uh, rhythmically what, what you're reading. Two, you're going to understand the harmony. You're going to understand tension and release where that happens, what to do with the leaning tone, et cetera. Like all of those decisions, uh, we would have discussed in class gone over. You started making those choices on your own, which allows you to whatever piece of music that's given to you, you can start looking at it, analyzing it in a way uh, that you can be successful and feel comfortable with. Yeah, and and one of the other things I don't think we've really touched on yet, but you know, as a percussionist, I want to bring this up because I think it's it's another one of those chamber ensemble moments that a lot of programs miss with with the concert band percussion because. You know, if you're not playing a Gillingham or or, or a significant uh, percussion piece that has a lot of keyboard parts, uh, percussionists feel as though second semester is a waste for them. And I think that's where the growth of, you know, what's going on in Dayton this weekend uh, is, has actually exploded because it's become, in a lot of programs, uh, pulling the percussion completely out of the concert band class. And they are in their winter percussion ensemble classes, um, drumming, marching percussion, all of second semester, and then quote unquote, get thrown into the concert band um, at the very last minute, which I think is not only incredibly detrimental to the band, because um, I, I had a friend of mine that was doing the, the Harrison stream piece, and they were set up like this, and he couldn't understand why at the last minute, they put the percussion in and everything they taught the winds didn't work. And it was two weeks before evaluation. And I mean, it, it's the same thing of creating a, you know, a clarinet choir out of the, the, the wind ensemble and then throwing them in at the last minute and expecting those students to understand harmonically, rhythmically, ensemble, dynamically, everything that they need to learn dynamic or excuse me, ensemble skills on a daily basis. Those kids are getting completely cheated out of that. Yet for the, the goal of, you know, getting that medal in Dayton. And, and I, I'm really concerned about it. I think more and more percussion, uh, people that I talk to have reverted to the percussion, concert percussion ensemble. And they're amazed not only that the concert percussion ensemble has attracted kids that may be quote unquote battery players that are learning keyboard parts or keyboard players that were scared to death to pick up a pair of drumsticks. Now those kids are more interactive in their concert percussion sections, but even bigger than that, their marching percussions play so much more musically uh, in the fall because now they understand music, they understand harmonic rhythm, they understand texture, they understand dynamics, uh, and how they fit within the the, the uh, texture of, of music with wind. So um, it's 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 um, we we've, we've done this to ourselves because we thought it was a good idea, and what sounded like a good idea now has exploded and we've got a, a beast to control. And Tim, let me get back to your original question of we're all sitting here. How could this actually happen? How can people think like this? I think it, it, it can become pretty easy if you consider that it's in many cases with young directors, a community awareness problem. And once again, David, we've done it to ourselves with a marching band and the championships. We've showed the community and the school and the coaches da 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 that we can that they can watch our progress from week to week and see who excels and who doesn't. All of a sudden, second semester comes and there's not that. The principal perhaps is not that interested. The community is not around as you're preparing for festival. And even and it's sad and something we should maybe even talk about now. Even the evaluations in most places are to an audience of twelve chaperones that came with the band, whereas <laughs> it whereas in the fall. All those band parents come. So a lot of it is the community education and community awareness that the director and the principal need to tie in on and let them know the importance that but we haven't gone away. We're getting better. We're doing stuff to make ourselves better. But I definitely can see how young directors, you know, the, the principal coming up going, well, what, what's going on in the program? I haven't heard anything. You know, what, what's going on? You know? 
I, I agree with Jay, and it goes back to what I mentioned earlier about us providing uh, performance opportunities uh, that that's inviting to the community. Um, the guest artist series that I that I spoke about. Uh, we have Wycliffe Gordon uh, coming down from Lincoln Center Jazz Orchestra to perform with us at at, at our Palladium concert, and you know, I mean, the, we're going to probably sell out that concert. A lot of people are going to be exposed to a wind ensemble, you know, symphonic band that may have never heard that before. And, and, and what ends up happening is because we're bringing those people in, the concert pays for itself. It's, and I, and I, and I, I understand that a lot of people may be listening to this go, well, I could never afford that. But, it, but if you set it up in an environment, you promote it correctly, it'll pay for itself. In fact, you could make a profit. That's what we ended up doing last year is making actual profit from it. Uh, we profited educationally as well as we did monetarily. So it was it was a thing that brought people in for that concert because I agree with Jay. There's a lot of times you see it at district concert festivals. That sadly, you know, there's 12 or 15 people in the audience, and it's something the students work really hard to do. So I think as educators, it's important for us to provide opportunities for people to come in and incentives for them to come in and hear our concert and our jazz ensembles and our solo ensemble recitals. Uh, you know, our soul, one of our solo ensemble recitals, we create a dinner. So we get a lot of people there. So there, so there's a large audience, uh, for our students when they go out and perform. And it's, it's, and it's a great opportunity for them to perform in front of people before they're evaluated and, 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 you know, before they're evaluated in front of the evaluator, uh, just so some of those nerves can be worked out. And then it always, we always try and do it two weeks out. So then we have two weeks to look and say, okay, here, here's where we need to improve. How did you feel, you know, under the pressure? Here's what we can do when we get here in two weeks when you're, you're actually going to be evaluated. But it exposes us to more people within our community and our parents to see what we're doing uh, from, from you know, year-round, not just in the fall. Yeah, I think you're right. We have to make these events more attractive, not only to the directors and their students, but to the communities. And a lot of, a lot of people are doing it. Cobb County, Georgia has done this for years, where it's, their evaluations are spectacular in terms of who they get to, to evaluate. There's also benefit, benefit clinicians that, that don't evaluate at all. They just rotate mm-hmm. doing clinics with you, and they, they get the best wind ensemble people in the country. They get the best person they can in the country to evaluate the conductor, and it makes it attractive to these people to want to come to this event. And the enthusiasm at this event is amazing. I just judged it two weeks ago, and 54 bands, and I was astounded at the level of achievement going on with not just the top groups, but second and third bands in some cases of these schools, mm-hmm. playing some of the you know the hardest, toughest, most difficult, engaging literature that you could imagine. It was, and and the hall was packed most of the mm-hmm. time, packed. Yeah, yeah. And one of the other things too, I think you know what I've talked to kids about uh, as far as just the concert band experience and the marching band experience. I think kids I think kids relate to the marching band experience as a student group, as Kevin alluded to, uh, kind of experience, almost a social. I know there are kids that were always in my marching bands because their friends were in it, and that was a big attractor to be a part of it. Um, I've had kids tell me, we get to know you better in front of us in a concert band setting because now we know what makes you tick musically. We, we hear your passion. You inspire us. Uh, we love to talk about music, and there we don't ever get to do that uh, on that level with marching band because of the environmental concerns outside, and and you know you don't well you shouldn't use a megavox on a concert band, but um, the, the truth <laughs> I hope not anyway. But you have that one on one and that FaceTime with the kids uh, in a close proximity, which I think that's really important. That's getting to know their teacher. You know, I, I tell the kids that if the math teacher taught math from a tower outside, you probably aren't going to be very successful. But in a classroom environment that close and, and that interactive with that person, uh, you have a chance to becoming really successful. Uh, Jay alluded to the Cobb County thing when we did the expanded format, and that's been years ago. Um, that was a model around the state that a lot of people wonder why we did that. Now there are other programs coming from other areas of the state to be a part of that. And I had the privilege uh, two weeks ago to be a part of a pilot program here in North Carolina that uh, John Roth at Appalachian State and myself uh, volunteered our time um, for a uh, uh, MPA up in the uh, Raleigh area. 
where they piloted for the first time in the state's history where there is a post-performance clinician opportunity. And he and I both came out of that after that one day of just packed performances with the kids asking for our contact information. Will you come to my school? Will you come back and do this again? And it was so magical to watch kids light up, even in a 30-minute one-on-one clinic, and the director's coming up and saying, you're saying a lot of the things I never thought about saying, and you got more out of them in 30 minutes than I've gotten all semester. Thank you. So I think it's a, I think it's a two-way thing with with the, the uh, summative part of this as we're talking about it that not only the students can benefit, but the directors can too. And I think, I think part of it, you know, is, is exposure, but I think part of it is education, not only from the kid's standpoint, but how hungry is that director to get better on the podium with the score and a baton? Yeah. And the other thing I would like to mention, Kevin, when you showed up at Tarpon Springs, you didn't have the band that you have today. Right. I mean, like there, there were many, you didn't have the number of kids you didn't weren't playing at that level because that's, it takes a lot of time and work to build a great, great program. And I, I, I just want to make that point. Do you want to speak to that, Kevin? Because I think there's a lot of work there and a lot of patience. Well, I mean, when, when I started the program, the band room only opened up one period a day and, and we had, we had seven students show up to the first rehearsal and then, by the end of the first month, we were able to get 30 students together to do it. I think one of the things that helped us develop it is one of the first things I said to them was, uh, no matter what we do, we're going to do it with quality. And it may not be a lot right now because we may not be at that level, but I want you to be proud of everything that you do. And we, and we really stress that to them that, you know, we may not be doing a lot right now or playing the most difficult literature, but what we are going to do, we're going to try to do it to the best of our ability and we're going to try to, try our best to achieve excellence and and it and I want it to be something that when you you've completed that particular uh situation that you feel really proud about what you've accomplished um so I think that started and then I also think uh we did a lot of modeling um at that time I believe Mallory Thompson was it still at USF so I I know at least twice a semester I would put them on school buses uh take them over to USF and we would listen to Mallory's ensemble uh, perform in a concert. Uh, that certainly helped get them, you know, to see a higher uh, level ensemble achieving. Um, we played several uh, videos of, of people who were playing at Midwest because I wanted them to see students who were their age uh, playing some incredible music and, and to show them that, that you will be capable of this if you if you stick to a process. And, and, and every day we come in here, we try to be better than we were the day before. Um, so yeah, you're, you're absolutely correct. It took time for us to get there. Uh, but it was also, you know, we had a, we had a purpose and a plan in place to achieve what we wanted to achieve. And I always shared that with the students. This is where we're at today. This is, you know, it, it could have just been, I remember they, they, they just had difficulty with tied notes, a half note tied to a quarter note. That's really where we started. Uh, so we went, we went right back to the basics and every day we, we worked on reading, understanding that every day. Uh, I tried to expose them to great music. And at that time, uh, we didn't have a lot of students taking private lessons or were exposed to uh, the best of the best. So I would incorporate all kinds of music, all, kind of, all kinds of genres, uh, just music that I felt were, were great. And, and, and it was a performer who was making an artistic choice. It could have been a pop performer. Uh, it could have been the Chicago Symphony. Uh, it, it, it didn't matter to me at the time. I was just trying to get them engaged in music and I was trying to get them to, to, uh, be a critical listener, to listen to what they, what they were doing, the choices they were making. And then we would discuss it. We would talk about it. Uh, what did you hear, uh, that particular vocalist do? Were there inflections? What created, you know, a, a dynamic feeling in that piece? Did you hear how everything wasn't just loud or everything wasn't soft? Uh, that there was shaping going on. And then, and then we would discuss, uh, nuance and, and what you know, what what that is, and how that how that can create energy. It isn't just about volume, because I think a lot of times, uh, you know, we associate energy with volume, and we would talk about nuance and how how um, how much energy can be provided uh, by playing with proper nuance and articulation uh, through throughout a piece. But I but I think it's having a plan of what you wanted to do, and and then constantly raising the bar. Okay, you've achieved this. Celebrate that. Now let's move to the next thing. Here, here's going to be the next step to get us to this point. And, and, and another thing that I would used to do is when they would come into the room, uh, I would always be playing music for them. 
Uh, and, and, you know, it would be, I, I remember one of the first pieces I played was Eastman's Toccata and Fugue. And they, they couldn't believe that that was a band, the one, the, the Osaka recording, uh, that they have. I mean, it was, they couldn't believe that sonority. They had never heard anything like that before. Uh, so that inspired them. And then I actually put that piece of music on their stand so they could see it. And then I took it away from them until they just begged to want to play that, that, that particular piece of music. So there's, di- there's different things that you can do t- to entice them to want to do it. And now, now with, uh, so much video and so many things on YouTube, uh, there's there's really no excuse for us not to do that and expose them. There's so many things I can expose my students to now that I couldn't when I first started teaching 20 years ago, uh, just because of accessibility. Um, but now, you know, we just we just got done playing Overture to Candide, and I played for them Leonard Bernstein conducting that uh, the New York Philharmonic, and 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 they they watched his personality. We talked obviously about what each of those six themes mean in that particular piece. And they had a completely different understanding actually after watching him conduct that piece. Uh, and so I think there's things like that that we can do. And, you know, they could not wait to, you know, to rehearse that piece again and start performing that uh, right after we, after we discussed that. So I think going into it, yes, you have to be patient with the process. You have to, atta- you have to attach accountability right from the beginning, and you have to be reasonable with the expectations of what you have in front of you. Um, and, and you have to acknowledge when they improve. I, I think it's, it's sometimes you, you, we get so frustrated because it doesn't sound the way we want it to sound, but we have to all remember that it's a process that gets us there. So, so sometimes we, you know, we always set small-term goals uh, to achieve the, the end result. And, and I think we have to celebrate every time they do something right and really uh, emphasize when they do it right. I think sometimes we overemphasize uh, maybe the mistakes and, and we, and we don't tell them enough when they do it right. So, uh, and I think by really celebrating, yes, that was it. That's exactly how you want to want to play that line. And when you're confronted with that in another piece of music, you want to do the same thing to it. So they, so they associate this is music that we're learning. It isn't just a piece that we're learning. Uh, so that way they can play other things. Yeah. And Kevin, you hit on the modeling thing. And I think that is so important because part of the problem right now is, well, it, it's kind of a double-edged sword because kids do have accessibility to YouTube and they do see these winter percussion groups that they want to be and they see the DCI groups and they see the top-level BOA groups that they want to aspire to be. But it's just like, you know, the kids sitting in the stand watching the DCI group in the summertime that's a, a 14, 15-year-old kid. They think they know what it is and they think they like it because it is what it is and how it affects them. But they really don't know the behind the scenes and the day-to-day training and the mundane hour to hour work that, that it takes to get to that level. So getting that back on the other side of that, where the concert band, where you make that a part of what they do. Um, I played for my, my, uh, one of my music education courses, one of those, um, all girl Japanese, uh, went ensembles, junior mm-hmm. high went ensemble, uh, playing, uh, just an amazing, uh, performance of of um uh the uh, uh dances um uh, uh to me here in a second but anyway Phil spark uh, the Phil spark yes you probably know the exact recording i'm talking about yeah I and it it's a it's mind-blowing i mean it really is mind-blowing and then i see that and i go well how do they do that and what's the japanese system to get that to that level and is it more rote or is it more note reading or is it more musical choices um, and I think that's that's part of the thing that that we we have to get them to be excited about this activity, this part of their their curriculum. Because again, as we've all said, it's accountability of the individual performer and the individual player that makes what it is um, the ensemble uh, successful. And if a kid can't do it, and I know Kevin's teaching and I know Kevin's psychology on this. Um, it, it's about building the kid up to let them know that it's fine if you're playing grade three, but play the heck out of grade three. And then next year we're going to push that to four and then five. And when they see that grade six piece of music on their stand for the first time, there's an accomplishment and there's a, um, a, a reward to that, that a kid knows that they've done what it is they need to do to get to that particular level. Tim, when you and I talked together too, we had the concert only kid. And I think all of us deal with that, that a kid that doesn't march 
um, that is in concert band only. And I worry about the message that we're sending to that student that we're gearing the curriculum more to an all-round marching band, which potentially, in, in, in our situation, we would have lost some of the best players in the band that were concert-only kids that didn't participate in the marching band. So I think that's, that's another key factor to, to considering this. And I, I, not to belabor the point on the modeling, but I do think as, as educators, we do control what's being played in our band rooms, or at least we should. Uh, you know, that what recordings we, we play for them, what videos that we show them, uh, you know, one of the things we do in, in addition to showing them ensemble successes is we play a lot of individual, uh, recordings. You know, a really great flute player, a really great clarinet player. They're coming in the room and they're hearing that. And then, and then it just gets quiet and they all watch that particular performer. And then you'll, then you'll hear kids starting to model that, wanting, wanting to do those things. And I think that's another way of getting them excited, uh, about what, I guess some people call spring semester um, is is constantly showing them people achieving great things, and it goes back to, to the video that, that David referenced. You know, kids their age accomplishing great results, showing them that yes, this is possible uh, if we put a good plan in place and we stick to it. And every day we come in, we try to be better than we were yesterday. Dance movements, Jay. Thank That's you. A- well i I love this because you're talking about concepts of just teaching music and teaching musicians and then teaching students to be better people and better musicians that's really what our job is supposed to be not uh having a performance every weekend to get a trophy so i'm loving everything you're saying unfortunately we need to start wrapping this up so i just um if there's a director out there listening and they're making decisions about how they're going to use their time and their resources, particularly in the winter and springtime, uh, why don't you just speak to them? I'll let you each have sort of a final word on this. Jay, why don't you go first? Well, if I could speak to the young directors or people that have, that are struggling with this, I, I think one of the biggest things we can do as music educators is to make our students curious about music. And the only way we're going to do that is – not being judgmental, not putting ourselves in a box of doing a shortened program or one style of program, but let them know of the power of music by being curious towards all great music. I say that even to my college kids every day. The most important thing is to be, is for, you're gonna, your growth is gonna be, is gonna happen when you become more curious about the power in the world of music. Yeah, fantastic. Kevin, how about you? Well, I, I, what I would say to, to our younger teachers coming in is be sure that you have a plan with what you're doing. Um, and, and, and in that plan that, that there's, there, there is a purpose to what you're doing. So that, so then that allows them to be successful as they go through. And it, is, it isn't just about learning three pieces, uh, to be evaluated at concert festival. Uh, but it's what plan do you have in place to develop them as individual musicians? Because the better, the more they develop as individual musicians, the more literature you're going to be able to play and the more excited they're going to be about uh, playing music. So I think right from the beginning, be a conceptual teacher. So whatever you're, whatever you're discussing, always relate it to whenever you're confronted with this particular rhythm or this particular phrase, or this particular way of shaping something. When, when you see that in any piece of music, this could be your approach, uh, you know, to navigate your way around that and be successful artistically. Yeah, fantastic. David? Uh, the only thing I would say, and I think it's to, to all band directors, veterans, and, and new teachers, is that I, I think we have to look in the mirror and say we have a responsibility to our students educationally. And if we're only teaching the consonants, then the vowels aren't going to get taught. And there's an entire alphabet that our students not only are relying on us to show them, uh, but also give them a vehicle to continue music as lifelong learners. Um, there's a lot of community bands in the country that kids can continue to play even after high school and college. Um, but there's not a lot of, of 60s and 70-year-old marching bands in the country that, that kids can take part in. So. Uh, I would hate for them to get to that community band experience and have the best experience uh, from a concert band setting that they've ever had uh, later on in life and not having had that early on in life and an inspirational teacher to, to share that emotion and that passion to what the, the concert literature offers. I think it's just it's the soul of the music and it teaches kids to think in ways that no other curriculum in the entire school day teaches them to think, uh, not only artistically, uh, but also decision-making that 
that makes uh, for a better person and, and, and thinking about who they are as a person and, and what they can offer, not only from themselves, but in a, in a group situation. And that goes into even the business model of, of can you work with people? And you can learn that skill set sitting in a wind ensemble uh, that you can't learn even in a marching band. Yeah, fantastic. Well, guys, there is so much great information in everything you've been saying and sharing. I so appreciate you taking time to talk with us. Thank you so much for being here. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you. Thank you. It's time for band directors to have a serious conversation about their priorities and educational concepts. We hope you'll continue this discussion with your own friends and colleagues. Thanks again to our sponsor, Shadow Lake Music, found at shadowlakemusic.com. Thanks to our editor, Aaron Osborne. And thanks again to Jay, Kevin, and David for joining us. And thanks to you for listening. If you're a business that works with band directors, marching bands, color guards, or drum lines, you should consider sponsoring an episode of the Marching Roundtable. Our listeners are the exact audience you're trying to reach. And with thousands of podcast downloads each month, it's a great way to directly reach your target audience. For more information, click on the Sponsorship Opportunities link at marchingroundtable.com or email Tim at tim at marchingroundtable.com. You can grow your business and help support what we're doing here on the podcast. Thanks.